Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Tuesday. And we're asking this question and we want your thoughts at 702-365-9200. How good can this offense be? I think it's a top five offense. Uh, obviously, everyone needs to stay healthy or most of the key players need to stay healthy. It's hard to do uh, in this sport. Uh, but I think if um, everything breaks right for the Raiders, it's a top five offense. I want your thoughts, 702-365-9200. We're going to get to Sam Gordon in just one second. But before we do, got to let you know, hey, it's your time to buy or sell a home. And Realty One Group wants to be the ones to be part of your story. Yes, the housing market's hectic. But it's still a great time to sell and even buy your home of your dreams. You'll need a hardworking real estate professional to get it done, though, and they've got you covered. They know the market, they know the neighborhoods, they know the transactions, and they know how to get it done for you. Realty One Group was founded in Las Vegas, and it's been their home for more than 11 years. They've been opening doors for their clients and opening doors for real estate professionals to live better lives. They are also proud to give back to the community, donating their time and resources to make an impact. So whether you're buying or selling a home, please call Realty One Group at 888-461-0101. And without further ado, we're going to go back out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in my good friend, Sam Gordon, who had a busy week this week uh, with some uh, tremendous fights. And I'm going to start right there. But first of all, thanks, Sam, for spending some time with us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, doing well, Vinny. Anytime. Always a pleasure to be on the program. Absolutely. Um, thank you very much. And uh, Sam Canelo. Um, yeah. How, you know, it, it maybe three rounds into the fight, I was thinking this dude is pretty darn good, the opponent. And um, and he just took charge and was smart, had a great game plan. Um, and I don't think that Canelo ever quite adjusted. Uh, but your thoughts on what was really, I mean, honestly, going into that fight, a shocking upset. Yeah, I, I think on paper, Vinny, right, right people had a lot of the same tools that fighters that have given Canelo Alvarez trouble in the past have had. He had a, a really good jab, um, good footwork, good boxing skills, uh, enough pop, enough power to garner respect, um, and and the right kind of mentality, just the right you know right defensive kind of oriented mentality while still peppering in enough offense, and and he put all those tools. Um, to use on Saturday, I think, quite frankly, not only did he, you know, was he bigger uh, and stronger than Canelo Alvarez at 175 pounds. I bet he was, you know, maybe 190, 195 when he stepped in the ring, depending on how much um, he re- rehydrated. But clearly the size, there was a size advantage there that, that Canelo had never been in the ring with somebody that big. And then just the boxing, he put it all together, um, totally on display. Canelo Alvarez, for the first time since he fought Floyd Mayweather in 2013, really didn't, to your point, but he didn't have an answer. I mean, there was no real plan B. I think you saw the game plan from Canelo's, you know, Canelo's point of view was to, you know, break down kind of the arms and try and limit that jab so he can work to get inside and, and then, you know, unleash the body shots. But Bebo had an excellent game plan. Like you said, he was totally ready uh, for that style that Canelo was going to present. And I, I thought Canelo also looked vast at, at 175 pounds, carrying that extra weight for, for, for 12 rounds against a guy who's already a natural 175. He's having to throw, put so much effort into each and every punch to try and hurt a guy that big because he's the biggest fighter he's ever been in the ring with. Um, and he gassed out quickly. So it was really, I mean, I think halfway, you know, like you said, a third into the fight, you know, halfway for sure you knew there was a very realistic chance Canelo was going to lose the fight. I think by the eighth or ninth round, it was clear he had no answers. 
for Dimitri Bivol, but it was still very jarring to see the number one pound for pound fighter in the world, a you know, a four division champion, the undisputed champion at 168 pounds, the face of the sport, and quite frankly, somebody in the midst of an all time great career just not have an answer. So um, it, 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 I knew Bivol was gonna was gonna be be hard, be difficult. I certainly didn't see a scenario where Canelo Alvarez didn't figure him out. And as a result, uh, it is what it is. Canelo Alvarez's first loss in 2013 to Dimitri Bivol. Um, hopefully, his profile continues to build because, as we saw on Saturday, he's an excellent, excellent boxer deserving for big fights in that division. And he put on a heck of a show and silenced 20,000 people uh, inside T-Mobile Arena. Uh, on Saturday night. I uh, was impressed with Canelo's uh, class uh, afterwards and humbleness afterwards. You know, it is what it is. Boxing, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. It was my night to lose uh, tonight, and, and, and the opponent had, had a better night. So I, I was impressed with that. But I got to ask you, before we uh, uh, pivot over to the Raiders, what's next for Canelo? Yeah, Vinny, that's a great question. I think the, the intrigue behind this, the, you know, the fight against Dimitri Vibol was that Canelo was going up um, in weight, 175 pounds, but only for the second time, the first time, 2019, against Sergey, Sergey Kovalev, formerly a great champion in that division, but at that time in his career was clearly past it, so it was an advantageous fight for Canelo. This wasn't the case. This was an undefeated champion with a rich, rich uh, amateur pedigree in his prime. Dimitri Vivol, 31 years old, like Canelo, it was a massive, massive challenge. So he deserves credit and respect for taking a challenge of this magnitude. He dared to be great on Saturday night, something a lot of fighters don't do. Uh, with that said, I don't think there's any shame in coming back down to 168 pounds, proceeding with the Triple G fight. I think kind of the Canelo, Canelo redemption arc, there's a lot of intrigue. There's going to be a lot of intrigue around his next fight regardless. But I think if he goes back down to 168 pounds, where he's comfortable, where he's at his best, fight Triple G, take care of him, and then explore the other big fights at 168, whether that's a Jamar, Char- Jamar Charlo, whether that's a David Benavidez, et cetera, et cetera. And then maybe down the road, go back up to 175. But there's, he, he doesn't have anything to prove uh, in boxing. This, to me, this loss to me doesn't diminish his, his legacy. I think he's on his way to becoming one of the all-time greats. I think maybe it limits his ceiling a little bit that he didn't beat, you know, this, uh, a win over Dimitri Bivol certainly would have been huge and added to his legacy, but it doesn't take away from his legacy. So he said after the fight uh, in the post-fight press conference that he's at his best at 168 pounds. Um, and, and I think, again, there's plenty of big fights to be made there. Go back to where you're comfortable, build a little bit of momentum, build a little bit of momentum back up by, by winning and taking some big fights, and then see what happens at 175 pounds down the road. There's no shame in that loss. Um, Canelo's still, of course, the, the face of the sport. That doesn't change with one loss at all. We're talking to Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. You can follow him at by Sam Gordon. I suggest you do because uh, Sam is always great with a lot of great information and insight. Uh, all right, Sam. So we're talking about the Raiders, obviously, and we're talking about how good this Raiders offense potentially can be. Uh, the heavy lifting of the offseason is pretty much done. I think there's still some tinkering to be done uh, with that roster, maybe even bringing in a James Bradbury on the other side of the football maybe even beefing up that offensive line a little bit. We'll see if the Raiders decide to do that. But where we sit today, May 10th, 2022, when you look at Devontae Adams and Darren Waller, et cetera, et cetera, Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, Derek Derek Carr, um, where potentially can this offense land in terms of, you know, where it stands in the NFL by the end of this year? Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I think the expectation is certainly in the top ten, with the upside, like you said, Vinny, to be in the top five, right? And I think there's kind of a baseline for for that for that thought at this, at least at this point in the season. I think two years ago, 2020, 
with Nelson Aguilar, a healthy Darren Waller, and Hunter Renfro in his second year. Uh, and again, that same kind of issue with the offensive line. I think there was a little bit more talent that year, but there was in- injuries, people in and out of the lineup with COVID, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That, that offense still finished in the top 10. I mean, that was a top 10 uh, offense in the league. You know, now you take a look at what you have with a Josh McDaniels in the fold, with a Devontae Adams at 29 years old in his prime, whatever way you want to cut it, number one, two, three, I don't care. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL. If Darren Waller is healthy, we saw what he could do two years ago when he was an 11, 1,200-yard guy breaking franchise records uh, for receptions in a single season. And Hunter Renfro clearly entering his prime as one of the best slot receivers in the league. So you have a top three, you know, number one kind of wide receiver. You have a top three to five tight end. And now you have a top three to five slot receiver uh, in the NFL. Plus Derek Carr, who even with the offensive line issues last year, Vinny, threw for almost 5,000 yards. So when you have those kind of ingredients, everybody, you know, perimeter players on the perimeter at top three to five of what they do and Derek Carr however you want to argue it you know again doesn't really matter to me he's around a top 10 quarterback a guy I believe you certainly can win with uh long term if there's the right structure around him those pieces are in place uh the coaching staff would seem to be in place we still have to see you know what that looks like on the grass like you say uh but but based on what we have on paper this offense has has a ton of a uh, ton of upside i think with Devontae adams being able to stretch the field darren waller even be, being able to stretch the field clearing things out underneath you can see you have real threats at all three levels and i expect those i expect the run games i think work a little bit more off the pass this year the run game never really figured it out last year until you know the end of the season there were a couple couple quality games but with that passing offense with that explosive potential uh, on the perimeter with, with what you're able to do through the air, I would expect more opportunities on the ground for Josh Jacobs. And e- even if the offensive line, you know, only improves marginally, there's still more than enough firepower on this offense to score a lot of points. So again, top 10, I think is a safe assumption. And there, there is definitely top five upside uh, health permitting. And if, if the offensive line can improve, you know, a little bit more. Sam, uh, what about Derek Carr? And there will be some that argue, um, well, no more excuses for Derek Carr. He's got everything that he needs. Um, I look at it in a different way. I don't think that Derek Carr feels he needs to prove anything or anything like that. Um, I feel like he is champing at the bit to get out there with this group um, and and take this whole thing to another level. And I think his play is going to reflect the the, the higher level talent around him and depth and everything else. Uh, from his perspective, from Derek Carr's perspective, I think he's really excited about you know getting out there and, and seeing how far this thing can go. How far can he take his game? Because I think that there's a chance that he could be before it's all said and done this year, within that top six, top seven, uh, as far as quarterbacks, provided everything you know stays, everyone stays healthy and all that good stuff. But I think he's got that capability, and I think the numbers are going to show it. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I, I don't think that's out of the question at, at all, right? I mean, he threw for, again, almost 5,000 yards last year. He has more help on the perimeter than ever before. Would a 30 to 35 touchdown season shock you, Vinny? Certainly, it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. Um, one bit and if he cuts the turnovers a little bit again now you have more playmakers around you the offense is going to be a little different he protects the football a little more it's it's maybe you know 35 touchdowns to eight or nine interceptions as opposed to 12 or 13 um and a few fewer fumbles then you're talking about that kind of production a top five top six top seven kind of production so I think I think Derek Carr's been rock solid his whole career. I think a, a lot of times, he, you know, even from Raider fans, he gets a bad rap. He, he's available. He plays 16 games a year. I think, as we saw this past season, there's real leadership 
and intangibles when it comes to Derek Carr. It seems to me that, that guys respond to his leadership, and he was able to get through a, a really tough year, uh, throw for almost 5,000 yards, get this team to the playoffs, and now he even has more to work with. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's out of the question at all. Now, I, I, can we guarantee it at this point in May? Certainly not, but he's in the prime of his career. He's got a, a coach uh, that, that is an, has an elite understanding of offense at this level and elite skill position players. A, a st- statistical explosion uh, from Derek Carr would not surprise me uh, one bit. We, we saw the numbers a, a guy like Dak Prescott you know, had put up when he has explosive players on the perimeter around him like he has the last couple of years. I think Derek Carr is certainly capable from a statistical standpoint uh, of equaling that kind of production in the 30s, you know, 30s of touchdowns and, and close to 5,000 yards again. Uh, and if he plays at a top six, top seven level, uh, Vinny, provided the defense isn't a total sieve, you're talking about a team that is going to once again should be expected to make the playoffs, even in a really, really tough um, AFC West. The, the Raiders didn't make all these moves to not make the playoffs. There, there is a, definitely a sense of urgency here. I think Derek Carr understands that and wants to be a part of that, and he's prime. Um, provided everybody stays healthy again to, to have the best statistical season of his career and to win a lot of football games, um, you know, perhaps even more than he did last year. All right, let's flip the script really quick. What concerns you about this offense? Yeah, still, still the offensive line, still just the youth on the offensive line, kind of the inconsistency that we saw last year. I think, you know, we'd like to assume that the young players develop with another offseason program and maybe the new coaching staff uh, gets a little bit more out of the offensive line than last year's coaching staff did. But it's still a little bit of a wild card. It's still a little bit of a question mark. And then I want to see, you know, in relation to that, what is Josh Jacobs going to do? How is he going to look? It's a contract um, year for him. Of course, the Raiders declining his fifth-year option. So he's primed to, to play. I mean, he's, there's definitely motivation there uh, to play the best football of his career. He's been a little banged up. I think the last couple of seasons we haven't seen quite the same burst as we had during his rookie year when he was, uh, you know, well over 1,000 yards on close to five yards of carry. Can he come back and be that durable, you know, two, certainly a, certainly a two-down back, potentially a three-down back, get a little bit more involved in the passing game? Are they going to use him that way? What kind of Josh Jacobs are we going to get? Because when he's on and when he's right, uh, he's definitely a, phys- uh, a game uh, breaker, has game-changing ability with his physical running style. He can wear out a defense over time and set a defense up for some of those deep shots. But we just haven't seen that on a consistent enough basis. I, I think – Again, even if, if you just kind of equal last year's output from, from the offensive line and, the, and, and Josh Jacobs, there's still more than enough on this offense to be really, really good. But in order for it to reach its maximum potential, um, you want to make sure those, that the, the offensive line is shored up and that Josh Jacobs is healthy and at his best. So those are the kind of the two um, question marks I have. But there's still plenty of time to, to, to bring in a, perhaps a veteran on the offensive line and We'll see what, what some of these young players can do. I don't think it's uncommon to see uh, you know, a third-round pick make a big difference on the offensive line or even a seventh-round pick or sometimes undrafted players. So maybe some of these rookies come in uh, and light a fire under the guys that are already there. Maybe they come in, step in right away, and compete for jobs and start. Uh, but those are, those are my main concerns as, where everything stands right now in May. I, I do expect the Raiders, at least on the offensive line, um, to look around you know, the rest of the summer as, as rosters continue to change, maybe look to bring in a veteran. Um, given where they're at, that would be my number one concern. But, but again, Vinny, I mean, they made the playoffs last year uh, and almost beat the Bengals on the road with the offensive line as it as it already was. Uh, it, it shouldn't. It, it, it's you want it better to maximize your potential, but it, I'm not necessarily concerned from the standpoint that 
you know, if this team fails, it's going to be all on the offensive line. They succeeded with the, with, with the status quo line last year. They can see, succeed again, even without any personnel changes. Last question for you, Sam Gordon. Uh, on the other side of the football, uh, a very prominent cornerback, NFL veteran cornerback, um, hit the open market yesterday. We're, of course, talking about James Bradbury from the New York Giants. There's connections uh, with, the, with the Raiders. There's a need by the Raiders. There's soon-to-be money uh, under the cap uh, to go to go chase him. Um, your thoughts on James Bradbury as a potential target for the Raiders? Yeah, I think uh, I think he makes total sense. Just kind of given where you're at um, with your cornerback room, Trayvon Mullen, some uncertainty around him. He was banged up last year. We know he had surgery. Uh, played really, I thought played pretty well. He, he took a you know took a step up in his game um, last year, but the availability thing was an issue. And, and Bradbury, 28 years old, familiarity with Patrick Graham. Great in man coverage, uh, still in his prime. It's, it's a natural fit, and he gives you uh, experience, additional experience in the, uh, in the secondary. Not that I don't think the Raiders' cornerback room is, is super young per se, but I wouldn't necessarily call. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a veteran room either. And I'm I'm of the mindset that veterans um, are really really important. We saw what Casey Hayward was able to do in that secondary last year. Um, the difference he was able to make, just kind of the calming presence. I think Bradbury. Um, could serve a similar role, and I would expect the Raiders to, to, to show some interest. I mean, they, they, they should uh, pursue him, and he's a guy that could come in right away day one and start and be a leader on that defense. So it's a natural fit. I, I do think he'll have a, a pretty robust market given his level of play uh, the last couple of years and given that he's still relatively, you know, relatively young and in his prime. And, and if, if the Raiders go out and get him, I think that, that it makes you that much deeper, makes you that much better. Uh, on the back end so it'll be interesting uh, to see what they do but but he's a big time player and, and he still I think he still has a lot of really good football left in him so the Raiders will be wise to go at least at least kick the tires see if there's interest there and, and bring him in if possible Sam Gordon always a pleasure thank you so much for joining us in the huddle uh, be, be well my friend we'll talk to you down the road Pleasure all mine, Vinny. Appreciate you having me. Talk soon. You got it. That was Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. You can uh, download uh, our Raider coverage uh, by uh, downloading Vegas Nation or just going to VegasNation.com and checking it all out. Always enjoy talking to Sam. Uh, You are in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Tuesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Going to go right out to the Realty One Group listener line because Gangster Raider is on the line. How you doing, Gangster Raider? I'm all right. And you, how you doing? I'm doing good, brother. Well, I agree with you. I think we could have a, um, a top three offense, but it's dependent on two things. First of all, we need to get um, a speedy, um, big-body wide receiver. That's the only reason I'm not entertaining the Aguilar um, situation. You know what I'm saying? Because he is speedy and he's a big body. And I think we need a burner to take the top off the defense, and that'll guarantee us being a top three offense. And also, if we can sure up that line, which I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, I have confidence in a lot of things is going to surprise a lot of people. I think he's going to take the right tackle position and he's going to make it to the Pro Bowl. You know what I'm saying? That's my bold prediction for the year. Level, Alex Leather will be Gangsta. with the defense. If we can get two turnovers a game, you know what I'm saying? I don't care what interception, sack, fumble, safety, whatever. As long as we get two 
turnovers per game with 17 games, two per game to add up to 34 turnovers per game. And um, if the offense, we get the two things I say we need on offense, I say we guarantee we um, average at least 38 points. And if we do those two things, if we average 38 points a game and get two turnovers a game, I say we don't lose no more than two games altogether. You know what I'm saying? So I agree with you how you feel. You know what I'm saying? I also say we need to go get um, Bradbury too. You know what I'm saying? Especially if it's not too, if you don't want too much money. You know what I'm saying? If it's a team-friendly deal, it's a no-brainer. Go get them. We need DBs, especially with um, Mullen acting up, doing what he want to do. You know what I'm saying? If you don't want to be a Raider, we don't want you. If you don't want to be a Raider, walk the plank, punk. We want the players that want to be Raiders. You know what I'm saying? You heard it here from Gangster Raider. I'm gone. Keep it Gangster Vinny. All right. I appreciate it, Gangster Raider. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, uh, definitely ambitious on uh, Alex Leatherwood going uh, not only – winning the starting job at right tackle, but um, going to the Pro Bowl, um, that's pretty ambitious. I uh, love the confidence for, from Gangster Raider. I think the Raiders right now would accept just Alex Leatherwood showing that he can play right tackle at a very capable level. Uh, the Pro Bowls, all that, that would be icing on the cake. Uh, he just needs to show that he can be a viable, productive, reliable, efficient starting offensive lineman, whether that's at right guard or right tackle. That's step one for Alex Leatherwood, and then let everything else take care of itself. Jared, 38 points per game. And even at 38 points per game, he had the Raiders losing two games. So if the Raiders average 38 points per game, Jared, I almost think they'd go undefeated. There's no pot. 38 points a game is hard to average. I'm pretty sure the year that the Chiefs and the uh, Rams had that game that was supposed to be in Mexico City. I was there at the and, Coliseum, yes. Yeah, but it went 54-51. Yeah, like even that year, I don't think either of them averaged 38 no, points. No, not <laughs> at all. those two teams were just like scoring at will. Yes. And the funny thing about that, there were actually defensive plays made in those games. Like, I think the, the Rams might have scored a defensive touchdown. That's usually how you get to 50, 50 points. points, you're going to yeah. at some point, someone's taking one back or there's a special teams uh, score. But man, to say that the Raiders are going to average 38 points per game, um, that's a lot of points. I don't even, do we know, has anyone ever averaged 38 Let's, points per game? I will, I'm on it, sir. Okay. Uh, that seems a little bit high. Maybe 37. But hey, if, if it's happened, uh, I stand corrected. Uh, I think, I think, 30 plus is where the Raiders will probably 31. Maybe Um, they have the capability to do that. You know, it's obviously um, it's going to take some defensive scores. That always helps some special team scores. That always helps the defense forcing turnovers uh, to flip fields. That always helps getting better in the red zone. Obviously that will definitely help um, being better in short yarded situations. A lot of where the Raiders have struggled offensively um, have been in the uh, subplot areas of the game, the creating the turnovers, being better in the red zone, being better uh, situationally on third and fourth and charts. Yes. All right. As of 2021, the highest scoring points per game team was 37.9. And that was the 2013 Denver Broncos that year that Peyton Manning basically came back and was like, they averaged that touch. many points, and I would imagine because they had a great defense. I would, ha- I mean, sometimes when you look at that, you ha- do they do they account for the defensive touchdowns, or was that straight offense? That that was how many points the Denver Broncos uh, averaged per game. So it doesn't say it doesn't. It says fifty-five passing touchdowns, sixteen rushing touchdowns, five return 
touchdowns. That's so that would be the uh, either special teams or pick sixes or yeah. And I'm sh- actually I'm sure they would show on, on. So so you yeah that's that's 70, a lot of seventy five extra points. That's that's <laughs> that's, that's insane. That's I it completely escaped me that uh, that they won that they averaged that many points and then they went on and beat the uh, Carolina Panthers uh, in in the Super Bowl that year. So. Um, all right, so that so somebody technically, I mean, I guess no one's technically averaged 38 points per game, but the Denver Broncos, you can't get any closer than 37.9. Uh, but, of course, they had Peyton Manning and uh, a loaded defense that was uh, bringing the heat and sure giving Peyton some short yard or uh, shorter fields to work with. Uh, that's a lot of points. Uh, we're going to go back out to the uh, Realty One Group listener line because Raider Dave in Denver, who should know, uh, being in Denver, Dave, uh, put some perspective on that 37, 37.9 points per game average of the Broncos back in 2013. I think Eddie Murphy said it, Bev. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, that I love his optimism. I love hearing him on the radio. Um, I think he, he lives out in Oakland, right? Uh, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, yeah. I mean, I was there when the Raiders were there in L.A. too, so we were probably at some of the same games. But, I'm sure. Uh, it's uh, far-reaching, ifs and buts, candy and nuts. I mean, w- w- nobody really knows what's going to go on. And injuries have such a part of this game and keeping teams down. But you're right. I, I don't think anybody is unhappy at 30 points a game. They feel really good about that. And to me, I think the Raiders could have won a couple games that they lost last year, but that wouldn't have helped them because they got blown out twice by Kansas City. So they still would have been the 50, you know, right. top wild card team there you go whatever and if people were really watching it there was a couple plays you know a couple games away from actually having a home game in vegas and an afc championship in vegas but things don't always go that way obviously but i think if you look at the red zone inefficiency and the predictability of gruden's offense and the way that when gruden was gone they still kind of had to play a lot of that. I saw a couple of surprises that actually were bore fruit, and I was super excited about it. I didn't see a lot of it the rest of the year, but you know they they were changing up their stripes a little bit, and it was paying off. But still, the red zone was a problem, and I think that this coaching staff and the weapons that they have and the the need to cover all of them is going to help that red zone. And you turn some of just one or two of those field goals into touchdowns. And you're closer to 30 to 32 points a game, and I think we could be on the way to what gangster rating wants. But one of the things that I wanted to go ahead and speak up about to see your take on is that something came out that showed, even though before the schedule was out and in what months they were going to play anywhere, uh, that the Raiders were only favored in six games and scantily favored at that. Now, that's fine with me. I'd rather be the road dog or the home dog anyway. Uh, but what is it that the Raiders did last year as a dog on the road or at home? They won a lot of football games. Yeah, they did. You're darn right they did. And they lost a few that they could have won. And I, I understand that, you know, catching a defense uh, with Baltimore in a, in a wrong set and Carr able to just nail Jones is like schoolyard. Okay, fine. But that's the thing when you have an eight-year quarterback that can read defenses. Come on, people. I, yeah, I, I I agree, and um, I think this offense is going to be um, really really good. Yeah, exactly. And I think the defense is going to help out. You know, when you look at a guy like Chandler Jones, and obviously you can't overlook. How him. can it be any worse? 
worse. No, not at all. How can it be any worse? Oh, the defense? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and I, I wrote about this the other day in, in the Review Journal. Um, you know, the, the the defense took it down from 29.9 points per game to 25.9. I know it doesn't seem like a lot, and it's not a lot, but it was really the difference. They became the middle of the NFL about 15. It, it was it was probably a little bit worse than that, but uh, not, you know, not quite that good. Um, but... They, you know, though, to me, that was the difference uh, in them making the playoffs and not in winning and, ten and games. And the difference, and when you open that folder, the one highlighted page that sticks out is we didn't have anybody to cover Kelsey, and that's exactly where this defense needs to get. And I don't know who they've got on the roster that's gonna be able to do it. I don't know if the guy from New York, if they bring him in, if that's the guy to do it. I heard a lot of talk about how New York shut down Kansas City and kept them under wraps, and the reason was is because Bradbury could cover Kelsey. If that's the only thing, the dude's worth $10 million because you're <laughs> right. not getting the AFC West without shutting down Kelsey. I think the way you cover Kelsey is definitely somebody like that, that uh, you know, or whoever it is that can, that can literally cover him, but also getting to Patrick Mahomes. To me, oh, absolutely. that's your I, best I think, bet in terms of the yeah, coverage. And the, the coaching staff absolutely sees that and agrees with that, and that's exactly why they have made as many moves to get big guys up front and better defensive end to go ahead and mix it up with Max. So, yep, absolutely. I'm absolutely excited. I can't wait till the schedule comes out. You know, Two Monday night games, a Thursday night game, a Sunday night game, and a playoff game. So we're going to get, you know, some some primetime games. It's got to be fun. Raider Dave in Denver is calling it. By the way, um, good friend uh, Doby Raider Slava Ukraine pointed out, uh, he just DM'd me, the uh, Denver team that scored the most points in NFL history, basically, lost the Super Bowl yes. against the Seattle Seahawks <laughs> that year, by the way. so uh, And you knew that was going in that direction, that game. I was yep. at that Super Bowl, and we were in the auxiliary press box, which was behind yep. the end zone. And what I did li- you think when the, when the first snap was over his head? What was your first thought? Well, that's what I was just getting ready to say because my vantage point in the auxiliary press box, we we, we were right behind that. We were in that end zone. And, uh, yeah, it was just – it was downhill – from that point on, Raider Dave, right. thanks for thanks, thank you for the call, brother. You bet. We'll talk to you again. Yep, we will, uh, we will de- uh, definitely do that. And you know what was so funny about that Super Bowl it was in New York, and uh, obviously it's a cold weather city, and everyone was bracing for the potential worse. And this is uh, whoever you're believe, whatever you believe in, whatever power you believe in, um, whoever it is, whatever it is. Uh, there's no question after that Super Bowl that whoever the power that be is must be a football fan because it was freezing, stinking cold that whole week. I kid you not, the whole week, except for that Sunday. It was actually a pretty nice day that Sunday, all right? And then literally, by the time I finished my story uh, at MetLife Stadium, got on the train to get back to uh, my hotel in New York City, it was already starting to snow, and then the next day, that's when I the was, blizzard hit. That a blizzard hit. I was literally on a plane for eight hours before we left. They didn't, you know, we we got stuck on the on the runway, and this blizzard hit. Um, watched every single movie that you could possibly watch, probably twice. Uh, it was a grueling trip, but whatever. I just kept thinking it was beautiful yesterday. It was you know stone cold the six days prior, and it's. Right now, I'm sitting on a on, on a runway, uh, stuck. Can't get out. Can't, can't get out of the uh, out of the airport. But 
the Sunday of the game, it was beautiful. So whatever the power that be is, Jared, whatever you believe in, uh, uh, I don't think there's any question that that whoever it is is a football uh, fan. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador Raider Nation Radio, 9.20 a.m. on a Tuesday. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio, 9.20 a.m. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. Talking about the Honey Badger, uh, just looking at his contract and trying to make a uh, a, a comp with um, James Bradbury. I mean, you know, uh, by the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. We're live at the Finley Cadillac Performance uh, Studio. Uh, and so the Honey Badger, three years, $33 million, $18 million guaranteed. Is that kind of a comp for what James Bradbury could be, uh, you know, uh, in, in line for now that he is a free agent? Remember, he was scheduled to make $13 million this year uh, with the Giants. I don't think he's going to get to $13 million um, with wh- wherever he lands, but he could end up, you know, with $20, 21000000 million guaranteed um, over the length of whatever the contract is and, and end up better off uh, for this situation. But we were talking, uh, Jared, about Sometimes when you look at Honey Badger and, you know, he finds himself out of position, was it because he went to go make a play or was it because he was hurt? Uh, and it brings up um, a, a funny story from Pat Kerwin. I don't know if you Pat, Pat Kerwin is. He, he hosts uh, Moving the Chains on Sirius uh, XM, you know, their NFL show. Former coach, former general manager, and he was an assistant coach with the New York Jets back in the day when Pete Carroll was the head coach, right? And so they, oh, wow. So they bring in Ronnie Lott, okay? Uh, remember, he played with the yeah. Jets, right? So, um, so he, Pat Kerwin tells a story uh, early on when when Ronnie got out to New York. Um, Pat or uh, uh, Pete Carroll is walking him through some defensive assignments, um, and he said, "Look, if the if the tight end is here and the wider, you know, whatever the setting, this personnel grouping, this is where I need you to be." And Ronnie Lott looked at Pete Carroll and said, "Coach, I can't make a promise to you that I'm always going to be there." And Pete Carroll looked at Ronnie Lott. He's like, "Why? Why? What do you mean?" He goes, "Coach, sometimes I see things. And I just go make plays." And Pete Carroll goes, "Just st- stay with that. <laughs> that's okay, cool. That's yeah. that's fine." Um, and you know, but there's Ronnie Lots that can pull that off, um, and then there's other players who just freelance and break things off and end up hurting the team. I think Jonathan Abram has been, uh, you know, guilty of that a few times with the Raiders. But you know, Jared, and you know football. To do that as a Ronnie Lott, and Troy Palomalo was like that. He was a freelancer. He would break off the assignment and go make plays and, you know, clap and applaud. But he needed, if you talk to his defensive coaches, he needed a complimentary piece on the other side, another safety, that could read that and understand that and roll to whatever vacate. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So there there was chemistry needed and, and trust needed and some teammates to be able to I know what Troy's getting ready to do. Let me go slide over to make sure that we don't get attacked here. So one of my favorite um, Champ Bailey stories is they had uh, – oh, no, sorry. It was Ed Reed. I'm sorry. They had well, Ed, yeah, yeah, there you sorry, go. Sorry, sorry, sorry. They had Ed Reed, um, and this was with the Ravens, and Peyton Manning just burned this corner. Right. Um, just absolutely, like, pump faked this right. corner bit, and then they just went over the top, and then Ed Reed goes, okay, I want you to do the exact <laughs> – same thing. Oh. I want you to do the exact same thing. I want you like he's gonna look over here. I want you to like stop, right. jump right. forward. Trust me, I got this. <laughs> right. And Henry just goes up, gets the ball, and takes it. See? But it's just literally he told him, Don't do your job. Right. Make that same mistake. Yeah. But now we've got a setup. Right, exactly. And so 
there are certain guys that can do that, but there's certain times, especially when he was with Kansas City, where I'd just be like, is he lost? Right. Or is he like just he lost a step or is he not healthy? I can't figure out what his plan was right. there. Like right. Sorensen, the other safety I knew, no, he's not fast enough he's just, to go. He wasn't very good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, he, I, I can't say that he was. I don't. know, He caught a lot of heat. Uh, you know, Sorensen yeah. definitely caught a lot of heat. He was a replacement level safety. Exactly. Like he's a starting safety, but you obviously you want a superstar. Yeah. It's like well, you can't always have a superstar. You, you not need a guy, in, not a the way of football. Yes. Player, and, but yeah, there was a lot of times where I'd just be like, "You're relying on Daniel Sorensen to pick up space." Right. That's not something he's going to be good at. Right, ex- exactly. And you have to, you know, when you're when you're a guy that does freelance and there's players throughout the history that that do do that and and a lot of times they it pays off. They're making the right call, they're making the right read and they're just going to go make a football play. Um but it it'll also leave you vulnerable and uh, I remember <laughs> I, I was doing a story when I was covering the Rams on uh, advanced scouts, right? Who look at their opponents for the next three games? You know how that yeah, that works, absolutely. right? So, so this Ram scout brings me into his office, and it was the Kansas. It was the it was the Dallas Cowboys. That was the team that he was looking at, right? And um, and so there was a uh, there was a play where a safety comes up. The Dallas Cow- Cowboy safety comes up um, right around the five yard line. They were the other team was in Cowboy territory in the red zone, and this safety for the uh, for the for the Cowboys makes an interception. Um, to basically seal the game, right? And he's like, that's a great play, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, what a great play. And he's like, and he rewinds it. And he's like, if this quarterback was worth anything, watch what happens here. Now watch it from this angle. And the guy leaves somebody completely wide open. Yep. The quarterback just needed to hold on to it for one more second and dunk it over where the safety should have been. And, um, you know, uh, wasn't, but the quarterback didn't see it. He's like, I guarantee you every team in the league is looking at this because if he's going to bite on that, that's just an easy t- – so he's like, great play, but it really wasn't a great play. It was just a bad play by the quarterback not to see what happened. Your mistakes, yeah, you're going to get to – that's the biggest thing um, that we always got taught is it's better to find – it's it's better to find your mistakes than theirs. Right. So you need to find out how you're making – like what you're doing wrong with what you're doing rather than – what if like if you're trying to find like this guy does this has this tendency that's that's great right but maybe just have your quarterback make the right read <laughs> and that's the that's the thing that we always saw uh real quick yes you and I had been discussing it we were discussing Bradbury this was off the air and uh New England Raider wants to know after signing extensions for Renfro potentially Waller and all the draft signings are they going to have money to get Bradbury. Okay, and so one more time on the uh, the exact particulars of the question. After signing extensions for Renfro, potentially Waller, and the draft signings, are they going to have money to get him? Okay, that that's biting off a lot. Number one, I'm not quite sure that Darren Waller gets done this year. I have a feeling that that gets done next year, um, if it gets done. Uh, Hunter Renfro, um, there's there's ways to be able to manipulate that where you can actually maybe even create some 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 uh, you know some space for yourself um, by by the way you construct that kind of a contract. I do think he's going to get extended, but the answer is yes. And here's a couple things to consider. 
Um, right now, the Raiders are five $5 million under the salary cap. That leaves them in a great position to be able to sign their you know, rookie class, which wasn't a big rookie class, and there weren't any first- or second-round picks, so that changes the dynamics and the financials quite a bit. You're talking about a third-round pick, third pick was your highest pick, uh, and so on and so forth. So they have the money to cover that right now. Um, but keep in mind, Corey Littleton and uh, Carl Nassib, who were cut a month ago, a month and a half ago, um, remember that those were designated as June 1st cuts. What does that mean? It means that to maximize the um, salary cap savings, the Raiders had to designate that as a June 1st um, transaction. But the issue with that is that you have to wait till June 1st for that money to officially come off the books. And when it does, it'll be $20 million that comes off the books starting June 2nd. Uh, which would then take their salary cap to $25 million. So when you account for those two transactions becoming official after June, um, then, yes, they'll, they'll be able to do any of those things. But I still think that Darren Waller is um, probably a year away from being resigned or his his contract being extended. Is that – I mean, and obviously, Vitty, you, you come on our show and all the time uh, we do the morning show over on uh, – the sister station ESPN right. Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. I don't get to ask a lot of questions. Yes, go ahead. So I've always been curious, and this is something I did ask you off the air, but I'd love for you to explain it to the audience. Right. That people don't seem to understand that the rookie signings, your draft picks, yes. that money can be it's I won't necessarily say withdrawn from, but if you that draft pick, you trade it, right, that money sort of becomes back available right. in the cap. Yes. But there's a way to explain this eloquently. <laughs> well, and yes, you 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 don't, you know, and that, and I'll I'll take it a step further. Um a lot of teams traded out of the first round this year because they felt like there weren't first round grades on all of these players. We saw the Dallas Cowboys, I don't know if you saw the Dallas Cowboys um, you know, their their draft board, Jimmy Yeah, Jimmy uh, uh, or, or Jerry Jones. Jerry. Flash it, yeah, flash it for one second, and they had 14 players that had first round grades. So, um, if that's indicative of the re- the way the rest of the league looked at it, and it seems like it was because so many teams traded out of the first round to go get established players, and part of that is, you know, you have to think of it this way too. Why would I pay a first round pick? The money that it, that you know everything is slotted nowadays. So if you're the 27th pl- player taken in the draft, you're going to get the 27th best, you know, highest draft pick money. And if you don't feel like that, that's really the case, and you know, uh, commit yourself to that money, trade the pick away, and then. But that speaks to your point where the money that was allotted for that particular spot in the draft now reverts back uh, to you. So you, so you don't have to – that money isn't sort of set aside, like you said, put in escrow, where you can't touch that money because that money has to be used to sign that rookie class wherever those players were, were picked. So, uh, And in the Raiders' case, uh, we talked about this off the air as well, because they didn't have a first or second round pick, they're, the money that's going to be needed to sign this rookie class – isn't as much as it would be had they held on to that first and second round pick. Now, of course, they signed Devontae Adams to a big contract, but they were able to, even in his case, take his salary number down this year um, using salary bonuses and that sort of thing uh, to be able to take the hit on the salary cap um, down a little bit and pay it off through the the, uh, the signing bonus that they got. Now, go ahead. 
Oh no no no! I was oh. you. I was giving you time. Oh okay. Sorry. Yeah, we're we're closing in. Uh, but I'll, always remember too when the, when you talk about those signing bonuses, and it's easy to say, hey, just give him a fifty million dollar signing bonus, and him and him and him and him. This way, you could take the n- number down for this year. Always remember that when you do a signing bonus like that, the owner has to put that money in escrow, like yeah. cash. Cash has to go in there. You can't just say, yeah, we're giving you a, a signing bonus that we're going to pay off over the next five years. You have to back it up with actual cash. So you have to – and not everyone has Stan Kroenke money where you can literally do that all just the time. Ask the wife, hey, <laughs> yes, could you sell some Walmart stock? By the way, he takes offense to that a little bit because he's like, I brought $8 billion <laughs> to the table too you know, because his wife – Technically, I, is worth more because <laughs> yeah. she's a Walmart uh, heir. So uh, combined, they're you know twenty billion dollars by now. I'm sure it's even more. Uh, but yeah, night, rich people problems to see to you know. Hey, I'm just as I didn't marry her for her money. I brought something she to the table me as well. For mine. Exactly. Uh, uh, <laughs> thank you, Jared, for uh, doing a great job filling in for Demon Cotton. Hope you're doing good, Demon. If you're if you're listening, and we'll see you tomorrow, hopefully. Uh, thanks to uh, all of our guests. Thanks to Sam Gordon, of course. Thanks to all our callers. Thanks for participating. Thank you to our listeners. We truly appreciate it. We'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle, brought to you by Tequila Embajador.